0: Okay, welcome back, Lights Out Podcast fans! Great people, smart ones. Another special guest today. Super excited about this one for several reasons. Uh, one of them is uh, this is one of the old school guys older than me. This is one of the guys who um, I first uh, found when I first started fighting. And you know, I remember it's like, dude, I'm from Indiana. This is the first guy from Indiana on TV on pay per view. So got to train with him. Looked up to him as a fighter. It was awesome. Um, Been around forever. Gary Myers, how you doing, brother?
1: I'm great. How are you guys doing today?
0: Yeah. Dude, good to have you, man. Like I said, uh, when I first started fighting, big name. (laughs) Oh, I've been following you, brother. You know that. I always see you doing stuff. Wrestling coach now. How long have you been doing that? This
1: will be my 10th year. And last year, we went undefeated. And we just qualified. This school, in the the first 50 years of this school, they've never qualified for Team State. And we just now qualified for the 2A Team State, which I'm excited
0: about. Nice, nice. Congrats. Awesome.
1: We have put in a tremendous amount of work. We, Man, I bet I got my kids 40 extra dual meets when the season ended.
2: Wow. Gary, is there anything more gratifying than helping children, especially nice. at the high school level? Isn't it awesome?
1: Man, I'll tell you. Okay. It's the greatest thing to watch them grow. You know, everybody always, we always, you know, I come from a school that was always ranked number two or one in the state. For the whole 15 years I was there, Muncie Southside won a state a few times, lost it as runner-up. They lost to Delta, who's five-time state champs. And um, it's great being on that state level of uh, in Indiana because we don't have class systems. It's just one class, everybody wrestles <laughs> each other. And just like Chris Lido, I believe his team was runner-up, and he was a runner-up in the state, which a lot of people don't it's know all- about Chris. <laughs> Correct? Am I wrong?
0: 100% correct there.
1: Yeah. yeah, and so Chris went to Southport High School, and I've been going there since 1974 watching the, the state championships. So I have a I have a love for that school. And that's exactly how I met Chris in the wrestling room, him and Stibling, Alex Stibling, in that wrestling room. And I rolled with him and Alex, and I said to myself, and I probably said it out loud, I go, oh, you're going to be good. And this is – I'm not sure what year it is in the 90s, but I just... 98,
0: probably, probably not 90
1: yeah, And, I, and Alex Stibling was great on his feet, and I always prided myself on my feet. I've wrestled and trained with Chris a few times, and um, him and um, the guy, Clingerman, Klinger, James Clingerman down in the down James Clingerman. The only two guys I've ever rolled with in my life that I was constantly... I would be on top of the guard, and I'm constantly trying to figure out question submitted I'm in charge I'm on top and I'm just like holy <laughs> crap and I just they're like Chris had this crazy I don't know what you call it, butterfly guard Chris you yeah. can probably explain that yeah but I could not pass that and uh claiming just every move I made it was like going into an anaconda could not and it was a weird <laughs> thing because I usually pretty dominant on top
0: uh hmm.
1: but anyway sophomore what? high school um is where I first met Chris and where I um, – we used to go to all the state championships. And Indiana, like I said, is a class – one class uh, state to win a state title. It's winning four in America, and it's tough. So we always say, oh, we got to get you to stay. we got to get you to stay. I'm from a small school 600 kids. And, uh, but the thing is, I watch these kids develop from their freshman year until I leave them their senior year. And, and what a blessing it is to watch them mature. Like yeah. – Get really good. It, it senior year, be forty and two or something. You know, when they started out, couldn't win a match. Yeah. And um, so, and my son now is the assistant coach with me, and I watched him struggle through the years. I was hard on my son, and he quit and went to basketball his sixth, seventh, and eighth grade year. Thank God, his freshman year came back to me and said, "Hey, I think it's time I start wrestling again." So he was going to Fisher's High School over here. He was there about two months, and I said, "Dude," and they were. Just dogging him out in practice. I mean, just things that you wouldn't do to a wrestler. So I drew, I took him out of there called Mr. Fulkers to the IHSAA, and said, I need eligibility for my son. I go, you know, he, my son had cancer, had testicular cancer and lost one of his testicles. Jesus. He had some anxiety issues. And Fish is about, I don't know, 3,500, 5,000 kids. I don't know. And it's about a mile from here. So I took him out of there immediately that day and got him enrolled at Hamilton Heights. And um, Colton had I mean, he had trouble. So I he mean, threw out his shoulder, tore four labrams his junior year. Had he not done that, he'd have been on the podium his senior year. I had to mm. wait a whole year. He His junior year, he blew out his shoulder in the third day of practice. And I had to wait till so January. I was in November. I wait until January. And I kept telling me he was faking. I go, there's nothing wrong with your shoulder. I go, if you don't want to wrestle, don't wrestle. Said, no, Dad, there's something wrong with my shoulder. So we, I took him to the doctor and said, you realize he has three labrum tears and a dislocated shoulder. And he and he had been in my practice doing what he could, like stand-ups, this, that, and the other, for three months with a dislocated shoulder. I didn't know it. didn't look like nothing to me. So we took him right into <laughs> surgery and got it. And I, I babied him for up until about November. We got him in practice. And then when I took him to a Purdue-Iowa match at Purdue, like January the 5th, um, two years ago, he watched that match and watched how I would mentally prepared for the matches and what they did when they walked off the match changed his life. This guy, you know, I had not wrestle 20 pounds heavier than he was his freshman, sophomore year, set out his junior year, but he starts winning. I mean, like you wouldn't believe it. I had him at 182 and uh, I blew him up past him about 10 pounds. He had to cut 10 pounds every time to wrestle, but Colton became a great wrestler for Ammon Heights but I'm just telling you, bottom line, there's no more joy than to watch these kids get better over the four years. And well, I work tirelessly year-round
2: to make sure that happens. That's good. Well, let's talk about how we know you. Okay. So your first fight, what I saw, well, that I could find, I don't know if you had any previous to that, was um, November 18th, 1995 for John Peretti's show, Extreme Fighting. I think it was in North Carolina. And you had fought in a tournament. And, um, do you recall, was that your first actual fight? No. So I started fighting. So my coach, uh,
1: Dan Payne, um, put in UFC one, we were doing a night training session and, uh, I was out in Arizona. I went to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University where I was an all American and he put in a tape of voice grace he goes, you think you can do this? I said, I can do that. This is easy. <laughs> You got to remember, I grew up next to the projects in Muncie, Indiana, and I fought every day of my life. And it wasn't something I sought out. It's just the way it was in my neighborhood. We always were fighting. And so was a natural progression for me to, to, in the end, if people, if you talk to any people from Muncie, they go, that's exactly where he should have been. Um, but yeah, I so I started fighting in February of 94, and I fought in a bar. Like I said, I posted on your guys' site earlier that Probably had five fights in one night. But you got to understand, these guys are not skilled fighters. They might think they're tough. But I was had a great double leg at the time. And if I could put you on your back, it was over. Right, so who was the promoter? Do you now, remember? Now that, I do not, to this day, I don't know who the promoter was. But I do know Jazz Bowling knows the bar. Because <laughs> he, he, uh, <laughs> I always call him and go, what bar was that that I started fighting at? And it's, uh, he, always, he knows the name of that bar, And they used to show my fights on something called Cheese TV here in Indiana. And they used to replay all my fights on that, this obscure cable company. And uh, so I had been fighting. And then uh, Dan Payne goes, I know uh, Severn, Dan Severn, uh, but I know his brother better. So he called his brother out in Arizona. And uh, two weeks later, I'm on pay per view and I don't know any jujitsu. I don't know how to box. I'm just, a, <laughs> I'm just a wrestler and a damn good street fighter. Right. And I'm going to say that because, uh, I, I brag a dozier. I probably been in 700 street fights, and I ain't never lost one of them. And uh, now I probably lose about 700 of them. But, <laughs> but, so,
0: <laughs> real, real quick, real quick, Gary. Um, can you give us a little bit of your background I and mean, you were, uh, like Olympic caliber wrestler Greco. So, I mean, you, you passed on that. How did you get in, uh, your, your progression to fighting? Obviously street fight, but then what was your wrestling background and that got you into the position? Well,
1: <clears throat> so I was recruited to LSU who was ranked fourth in the country at the time. And I even think Kevin Jackson was on that team, the Olympic gold medalist. And uh, they dropped their program two weeks after I was, scheduled to you know to arrive on campus. Oh I think that was 1983. Um oh, so
0: title I Title nine. Yes Title Nine. I mean I Kevin Jackson on her team would be an Olympian
1: after that and they had other great stars too. <clears throat> um so anyways I got in the army started wrestling for Fort Hood and uh wrestled for the all army out in the nationals in Mexico and stuff and got really good at Greco because in the army, you can't wrestle freestyle. You got to wrestle Greco, uh, back at that time. And, uh, I traveled a lot all over the world. And when I got out, I went to ball state for four years and, but I kept wrestling. Like me and my buddy, Brian Thomas, I don't know why he's a couple years older than me. We just kept traveling and wrestling tournaments and nationals. And, uh, like in 1987, I had the worst draw, at the Greco Nationals of anybody in the history, I pulled John Morgan, our Olympian, lost fifteen to fourteen to him, and then I pulled Randy Couture the very next match. I thought, <laughs> Holy crap! I just flew out to New York to go to a barbecue, <laughs> but it was wow. the worst bell ever. So, anyways, I I got a, I was sitting in a cafe in Muncie, and Mister Ellis, an old high school, um, he actually team won a state for short Shortridge. He told him the state championship sixty five. He came to Muncie Southside. And they thought they tried to say he was crazy and they would never let him coach. I mean, he coached, but they would never let him be the head coach or be much involved. The time I got around my uh, freshman years and stuff, he saw me in a cafe and he says, what are you doing here? I go, man, I, I'm going to ball state. He goes, no, what are you doing in this town? And I go, it, it changed my life. A couple of things changed my life getting into college. old girlfriend got me into college, but, uh and he says, you be at my house in an hour. I'm going to get you a full ride scholarship. I'm 29 years old. And I'm like, man, I got some unfinished business. Absolutely. So I went to his house on the phone with uh, Butte, Montana, uh, Doc Belshaw, who's like 92 years old and is still a college coach. And he said, he's like, I'm going to give you a scholarship. Well, he called me every night at work. I don't know why. And then they dropped the program. So he immediately called Dan Payne at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. And trust me, I had no business going to a high academia school like that. <laughs> but I did survive because I stayed up to 4 in the morning every night and studied. But uh, I got there, became their second All-American in school history, and that's where this whole transition into fighting, because my coach goes, well, you get a lot of fights. He goes, uh, how would you – he put a tape voice grace and see when how would you like to uh, uh, fight on – pay-per-view I go dude I'd love that I can looks, you know this looks great I mean because at the time I'm watching UFC 1 I'm thinking all I have to do is double leg I mean I don't see much skill here like everybody had their own skill set right I don't want to stand with a guy like Pat Smith right but I but I can get people to the ground I think I can be successful at this so while he's trying to set that up I went and started fighting in, in nightclubs and stuff and I fought a bunch I mean I there was this place in Indianapolis, and i had have to ask Chaz Bowling the name again because I can never remember that place. It was a half-strip joint, and another half, they had a, a ring set up in there. And I, My first fight, I, I got fought a guy, Chris, you probably know, but it, like I said, I can't remember his damn name, but he was a professional boxer in Indiana and had a well-known name, and I put him on his back, too, and there was no rules. I remember sticking my thumb deep in his eye trying to oh. rip it out. Ugh. I said, no rules, right? And No rules. All right. So I stuck my thumb deep in his eye and tried to pull it out. And a whole crowd came in the ring after me. The state police had to escort me out. But that was my first experience. Um, that was the ending fight. That's like my fifth fight of that night. That was my ending experience that night. I'm kind of half lit. I've been drinking. I, I was paid $200. My bar tab was $400 because I brought some people <laughs> with me. So I lost $200 bucks that night. So that's probably the cheapest I ever fought for. You know what, though? You got your, your hand raised. Yeah, yeah. But listen, go. is there anything more important than that? Never mind the money. No, never, there right. never is. So, and that will lead us to Yuki Kondo in Japan.
3: So well, let, let me jump in with a quick question here. Because now, you're in Indiana. You're getting the fights in, you know, in the neighborhood, in the bars and stuff like that. You got a friend. You see UFC. You got an idea of the skill and stuff. Now, but the first official fight is on, on Peretti. Now, John was a big Brilliant. fan of another Indiana person, Phyllis Lee. Talk about Phyllis
1: Lee. How'd you meet them? Where was she involved? Where did she become involved in your career? Okay, so Phyllis Lee, this is how we did this whole thing with calling Dan Severn's brother. His brother called Dan. Dan said, look, my manager's Phyllis Lee. Here's her number to my college wrestling coach. I meet her up in northern Indiana. And She goes, Can you kill someone? I mean, I'm looking at me and my wife now are looking across the table from her. She goes, Can you <laughs> kill someone? And I go, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, her friend was named Judy, and I can't remember her last name, but she was on the yeah. home. She had told her she was, I think you really can. <laughs> but anyway, that's how I started. I mean, I was on pay-per-view like in a couple of weeks after that. All right. Wow. So
2: so that's <clears throat> that's how we know you. So let me let me kind of frame this for the people at home. So John Peretti was a brilliant matchmaker at this time. He later became a UFC matchmaker Um, and he comes up with extreme fighting and it's the first extreme fighting, which was an incredible, I think he only did two or three of them. And it was just an incredible like series of events. So he had an incredible knack for picking talent, like people that would, like bloom into just great fighters but he would get him like in their first couple like he had a real good idea of who to put in tournaments and how to match them and your first fight was Mike Granville who at the time was you know six and0 in mixed martial arts and he was listed as a high-end kickball well, he was listed as a kickboxing world champion but I, I, I couldn't find anything of, of any <laughs> world titles I think it was kind of inflated
1: yeah just did to Tommy Glanville right?
2: Yeah, uh, uh, Mike. Uh, my Brando. first fight
1: in Battle K was uh, Tommy Glanville.
3: Yeah, it's Tom. Is it Tom? I don't know why I got Yeah, he's down. dead now.
1: Okay. He, he fought Bob Sapp, and I, I, from what Bob I understand. Huh? <laughs> Bob killed him? Huh? Bob killed him? You said he's dead. <laughs> he fought Bob, or Bob Sapp when he died that night in his hotel room. Oh, he did? Yeah. A drug, he had ketamine or something. He overdosed on that. Dang. Uh, I was just kidding. <laughs> so, Tommy Glanville was my first fight. You know, I'm little. I weighed in at that thing two hundred fourteen pounds. I didn't weigh two twenty eight. Nothing like. It. I weighed two hundred fourteen with all my clothes on. And um, I remember at ins My buddy, who was going to be here today, Ron Johnson. He goes, uh, looks at me, he goes, "You know how to fight?" T- talking to Tommy Glanville, he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "Well, you better. <laughs> you better know how to fight." So. I just knew I had to get him to the ground, um, and I knew things would end right there. I really didn't know what I was doing because when I took, usually I would punch, but I just grabbed the cage and started headbutting because I'd done that in the street so many times. I knew it was very effective. <laughs> hey, well, everybody says Coleman's the king, uh, the, the Godfather, ground and pound. Try to find mm-hmm. me something that I, anybody's been headbutted into submission before me or after me. Like, you,
0: you were the king of the head, but for sure. Right. Huh?
1: <laughs> I'm like they, he didn't come on board till 96 or so. I'm like, I've been doing this since 94.
2: <laughs>
0: so they
1: Chris, on TV in 95.
2: It, uh, so they, they list Tom uh, Granville as a, uh, a kickboxing world champion. And they've got Gary as a hundred and fifty yeah. and one in MMA.
1: So you're the guy, you're the first people I ever talked to about this you know people usually you know, when they watch one fight on youtube they don't question it right i don't even know to this day that they were saying that on tv or anything i don't even know where this comes from
2: yeah no they were inflating they were no, absolutely <laughs> so- and, you know but that's that's what we're talking about it because that was kind of the time like no, they've I- got to sell their product to an audience and I, I have no doubt that the people was you know tom granville was a, a kickboxing world champion where Neither of you two, I mean, everybody was misrepresented across the entire event, including, including Conan Silvera, where Chris and I, when we interviewed Conan, we're like, all right, right, they said you won this tournament. What is it? And he's like, I don't know. It's really not a big deal. And we're like, oh, OK. You know, but everybody in that tournament was really like the volume was turned up. So we enjoy kind of addressing it with the participants.
1: Yeah. So Tommy Glanville, I was in a bus with him to go get my. And I will tell you this. <clears throat> He was tough. Uh, uh, but not about him, but uh, Peretti, we, I had to do a CAT scan and everything to get on that TV show. Uh, so he did a complete physical with us, even to give us CAT scans and to figure out if we had any head traumas or anything. And that had to be expensive for Penthouse Magazine, who owned that company. Uh, <laughs> but I was on the bus with Tommy Glam, a little, a little uh, white van, and I heard him in the back. He didn't know me. He goes, man, they said I was a world champ. He goes, I'm no world champ. He minted himself to me, not to me, but him. I heard him talking in the back of the van. So they did throw a lot of stuff on there, like Mario Sperry, two hundred seventy-four 0 I I don't well, even know where it comes from.
2: Where, where Chris, where they they mentioned that that uh, Gary was like a six-time like Greco World champion, but I believed all of it based on his entrance, where him and his entire gym had American flag pants on.
0: They yeah. run into
2: the cage right there. there no matter what was said about you, Gary, I was, I was eating it up. Yeah, you
1: gotta understand. Unlike people now, I love this country. And I, I'm a veteran. You still wear those pants, Gary? Uh, listen, those pants are for guys that weigh 214. I'm 275 now. <laughs> but I, I bought all that stuff for my crew before we got on the plane. I bought all their plane tickets. Uh, I bought all the clothes. I just – you know, I was more, you know, I'm going to show out. If I'm going to get on television, you're going to remember me. It was awesome. It It was awesome. And, you know, sometimes you only get one shot at it. Here's what I love about Chris Lytle. This guy – I take pictures – I've taken pictures of Chris when he's bleeding all over the place and said, hey, so you want to be a fighter. You remember that, Chris? Oh, yeah. And I him at the casino. Yeah. There's nothing more enjoying to than people – They want skill. This Chris is a very skilled fighter. But these guys that can withstand the punishment, just like Nate the other day, listen, most guys would have checked out, right? You see a little blood, you're checking out. But this is guys that can get in there and and bleed all over the place and just, like, just wipe it from their face. Man, that's the old school love of uh, fighting, you know, just fighting through all the
0: obstacles, you know what I mean? Gary, um, what I always, what I always say about it is this: I say this guy is a good hammer, but he's not a good nail. Now, that's my way of saying. I mean, some of those guys are front runners and they can dish it out, but they don't. If they get hit and they bleed, they're done, you know, yeah. I you to be a great fighter, I think you have to be both. You know what I mean? You got to be able to take it and still come back. Like I said, Nate, those guys, Cowboy, just just the, the true fighters good are the nails. guys I love watching. People come to good fight. That's all I care about. Yeah. Listen, so. That puts asses in the seats
1: that puts pay-per-view buys up there. Anytime Nate fights again, I guarantee you, he's the main event. I don't if you put him first on the card.
2: Yeah. 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 So Gary, your second fight is actually, it, I, I'm going to, you know, hold my beliefs on it. You know, I'll, I'll comment afterward, but it was actually against American top team, uh, head coach, Conan Silvera and he was listed as 27 and Oh, right. And, um, why don't you walk us through that fight and tell us what happened? And we'll oh, hold on, real quick, real
0: quick, real uh, quick. What? Ha- can you tell us what? how had the last fight ended? I mean, I didn't – you didn't talk, talk about Tommy that. Tommy yeah. you not seen that um, no. fight? You've never seen me fight Tommy Glanville. I've seen a Conan fight.
1: Well, headbutt, baby. Tommy Glanville on to the submission in about four
3: minutes.
2: I broke his orbital socket. <laughs> And uh, it was brutal, Okay, was brutal. like legit brutal. And, and the thing where, where I, I think the in-ring IQ of Gary was much higher than the average person at that time, because he would not use the fence a lot, but whenever he was about to get tilted, he would just kind of grab it and reposition, which was absolutely legal at that time. Yeah. And yeah. once, you know, once Gary had you against the fence and on your back, you were toast.
0: it's a wrap. It's
2: a you weren't getting up from it. Like it was, you know, he had his hips down. You you were pinned in there, and it was just a matter of time before he started working head butts and elbows, and that's what happened at Grandville. Granville had like he had to be carried from the ring. Like it was, <laughs> it was it was ugly. Yeah, so a stretcher. So let's talk about your second fight. You fight a twenty-seven zero Conan Silvera and this is this is you know like we had set a four-man tournament, and this is the finals actually. American Top Team. Uh, Head coach Conan Severa. Why don't you walk us through that fight and kind of let us know what, you know, from your eyes, what, what took place?
1: I will tell you real quickly about fighting Tommy Glanville. My contract called for zero money unless I won a fight. So you Ooh. want to talk about going, hey, I spent all this money to get here, this, that, and the other. I got to win this fight. And so winning that fight, I made three grand. Now, I'm going to go fight Conan. If I beat him, I win another 11 grand. I don't know where this number comes from. Cause I don't negotiate it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I'm telling you at that point, I feared nobody anywhere. I just didn't fear anybody. My adrenaline was through the roof. If you can't tell in my eyes, I fear nothing. That's just how I grew up. My father was a drill sergeant for 32 years. And I, um, I'd had a rough upbringing and not much scared me, not much at all. And, uh, so I go to fight Conan. Both these guys are big dudes. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm weighed 214. They're both 250, six foot two. It never bothered me. That kind of stuff never bothered me. I knew if I could get you on the ground, it was over. I knew that I knew, I just knew it. That's just how my life was. And every time I got somebody on the ground, a big relief would come over me like, oh, it's over. I'm winning this yes. fight. I could see that. So I get Conan, you know, and I'm doing, listen, and I practiced this before I got there. I knew that I would have to be on my feet. And I knew I was not, I never trained in boxing. Never, never trained jujitsu. So uh, I was just going to rely on wrestling because I had never, I mean, never trained that stuff. And it took me two years after losing those fights or losing that fight to him and getting armbar by Jeremy Horn that I would even consider training jujitsu. I just didn't believe in it. And uh, But after the Jeremy Horn fight, I was like, all right, you can't go down this road and not train jiu-jitsu. I just didn't want to do it.
2: All right, so let's uh, talk about Conan. Let's, let's yeah. talk it so an interesting. Him. I'm,
1: I'm powering yep. him, whatever. Uh, at the rules meeting, they said, if we stop the fight, it's over. If you're bleeding, it's over. So what happens? My first opportunity, I got him on his back. He tries to turn me. I hit the cage real quick. But I cut him. I cut his eye open. They stopped the fight. I about, uh, if you listen, God's my witness. Go back to the tape when, uh, you were celebrating bench, Igor Gokar comes over to me. He goes, oh, we're going to restart the fight. I go, no, that's not, that's not the rules. I mean, once you're, you stop it because the guy's bleeding, these are battle rules. I paid attention in a rules meeting. Yeah, fight's over. So when he said, I got him," there's no way he's not getting up. And, um, so when we went back to the corner, Vince or Igor or Gokar or whatever Gokar says we're going to start the fight over. I was I protested, and then my corner guy said, there we got to go." I'm like, "All right," but I wanted you to know that <clears throat> we were kicked out of New York in the middle of the night. All my partners had to take a bus to Wilmington, North Carolina. The governor kicked us out, Cuomo, I think it was, or somebody. Prick. And, yeah, and so we were going to fight at, our, at an armory there, in New York, and they. This kept harassing Battlecade till we had to leave. So I flew out. Wait, wait this was
2: not Battlecade. This was extreme fighting. This is Battlecade extreme fighting. Okay, the, I don't see any Battlecade listed anywhere, but not, you know, I, I do recall that, so go ahead. It's just it. called Battlecade
1: extreme fighting. Okay. Um, so they kicked us out of New York it's in the middle of the night, like midnight. Now everybody's under the same duress and all this. I just don't, I'm not experienced on what's going on. So they stick my crew in a bus, Driving down to Wilmington, North Carolina. They got there just before I fought. And then I was flown there. Uh, but when they broke us up and put me, put me against the cage again, uh, I was exhausted. I mean, I was tired. <laughs> and all that drilling, traveling, and then everybody had to endure the same things I did. I always tell my wrestlers, I don't care what direction you're under. The
0: same wrestler over there is under the same dress you're under. Uh, yeah, but, but Gary, on <laughs> a different note here, when, you, when they break you up the first time, you think you won. That's, I yes. mean, your adrenaline jump go- well, no, well, happening. That's real. Well, I mean, l- Gary, let, that's let's put different. a little,
2: yeah, let's put additional context to this. Gary is in top position, delivered a couple of headbutts. Yeah. Conan's got a real heavy cut on his right eye. All right. They stop it for a doctor to check it. Yep. And then the you doctor, stand it back up? No. And they, they stand it back up again so that all that hard work that Gary had put in in order to get that takedown was just White kind of wiped clean. Yes
1: it's yes and remind me to say something about the doctor in a second when he restarted the fight i was tired dude i had just a adrenaline, adrenaline dump everything i thought i would already won the world title yeah and so when i went to shooting again i'm tired right he gets it he gets me under the chin chokes me out you gotta understand i don't know jiu-jitsu. i don't know anything about chokes i didn't know how to get out of it i was like uh where do i go from here <laughs>
0: So I tap out, but I
1: want you guys to notice, if you go rewatch that tape, the doctor who had, you know, all of this whole thing was, I'm going to go somewhere with this, the doctor that stopped the fight and and, and go car, the doctor comes running up ring, smiling and everything. When Conan beat me, I want you to watch that again. When Conan chokes me out, I tap that doctor comes running up to the ring. He's smiling, laughing because like these guys are in cahoots. So, here's where we end up. I asked John Pretty point blank, what would have happened if I had won that fight? He said, you'd have set back jujitsu 75 years. <laughs> That's exact quote to me. And uh, I said, and I was in the dressing room, and I asked him, I said, are you bringing me back? He said, yes, you fuck great. I'll bring you back. Phyllis had to beg him to bring me back on the last show, uh, the Extreme Challenge 4 in Iowa. And I got into it pretty, I don't think Pretty liked me too well. Because here's what happened before the fight. I wanted to wear my shoes. He didn't want me to. I said, I'm not going out. I'm just five minutes before we're getting ready to fight. He goes, take those shoes off. I said, I ain't doing it. I'm not, I've never fought without my shoes on. About my wrestling. She's like, I'm not going to kick. He goes, take them off. like it ain't happening. I go, I'm not going out there without my shoes on. This is for the very first fight. So he goes around and asks all the fighters, you know, do you want to wear shoes? And Almost every one of them said yes. Almost everyone said they wanted to wear their shoes. And I got to go on after, but I pissed Freddie off at that point. I don't think we were ever, you know, really got back on equal terms after me taking <laughs> a stand. But I didn't know anything. Like, I've always been in my wrestling shoes, and I knew what my toes to get broke. I didn't know. <laughs> uh, but him saying that, you know, if, if you watch Battle Cage Street Fighting again, watch a couple things. Watch them stop my fight. Watch me tell go-kart it's over. I go, no, I'm not starting again. And then I had no choice. You know, when you're on TV, there's a lot of pressure, right? There's, you just don't say you're not fighting anymore. There's a lot of pressure to keep moving on. But I protested. You can watch it. And then when I lost, something very telling to me was when the doctor came running up to the ring, smiling and laughing. And I thought, you guys, you know, you gotcha. certainly changed the outcome of this fight.
2: Well, let's look at the rest of the card. You've got... John Lewis and Carlson Gracie Jr. that fought yeah. to a draw or either Lewis won or I think it was actually a draw. And, a then draw. You got, and then you got Igor Zinoviev in the main event, Jeffrey Epstein bodyguard, I might add, uh, versus God. Mario Sperry and Epstein or uh, Epstein's bodyguard won. And, yeah. you know, I think John Lewis fought to a draw. So jujitsu really wow. could have taken a hit that one event. And, uh, health Gracie was on a card. I think it was like a, a 15 second knockout or something like that on his yeah. end. But yeah, the Brazilians really could have, you know, gotten a black eye had you won that. I mean, they brought out
1: a couple t- tomato cans too. And I don't, they, no, I never met Peretti. He tells everybody that he's rolled with every guy there. He never rolled with me. I never met him until that day. Uh, but they brought some tomato cans out. Health uh, Gracie fought a guy that had no business in the cage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what
2: we'll gave you that impression?
1: The guy that he fought? Yeah. He was like a boxer or something. No, he, no, this is the guy that said, I have a, I have one move and it's to kill. And it, like, yeah, and it's some pressure move. I was like, okay, to this day, I just can't get on board with the with the pressure kill. You know, when you put your finger <laughs> on somebody. Hey, if, like, <laughs> you, if you would have landed it, though.
0: He okay. hypnotizes you. Hit the target, you yeah. <laughs> so, but
1: he was not good. And then, they put Conan against a guy that weighed like 190 at best, maybe 180 All right. Arcanium or something. Easy Russian ride. Guy. Probably good for his weight class, but not good for Conan.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. okay. So we started this talking about this event where you had mentioned Phyllis Lee is your manager. Yeah. And that had you not won, you wouldn't have gotten paid. Right. Correct. Come on, right. Phyllis. That's terrible. Right. <laughs> did, did you actually see the contract? Uh, yes, you did. OK, because yeah. well, we've we've heard that doesn't things. mean that that contract could not have been sent to me already altered. Which is where I'm thinking probably. I mean, Chris, Phyllis Lee was your manager as well. Um, she was very slick. You know, certainly somebody that um, if she I saw an opening to, to go through, she would absolutely, you know, step through it.
3: I, um, I don't want to say anything, but eleven thousand
2: dollars probably
3: 15. Sounds like there's a few thousand missing there at the end. That yeah. <laughs> seem like an odd number in like the 3,000. I never heard. It's it
2: probably 5, you know, and it was probably <laughs> Let two me years let show. me
3: ask you a quick question about Peretti and this show cuz you said you were you were in the UFC, you sound like, you know, with street fighting and stuff, the, the more rugged the better. How was that show in terms of like that was the first time there were rounds. That was the first time there were gloves. You know, there was a lot of things going on there. Do, do you remember any problems with any of that or, you know, besides the shoes and things like that?
1: Are you talking about me? Yeah. Uh, uh, did, did, did you just mention you... the UFC? I'm
3: no, sorry?
2: The first battle, kid.
1: Oh. Yeah, the, in the first oh. battle, there was 15-minute rounds. Oh. And you just fought to a draw if it was over. Remember? It was one, one round, was and, and if it was a draw, a draw
2: you'd go five – Extra yeah, 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 and that's what they did to
1: them. That, listen, I always thought these fights would take a minute or two. I thought, man, I can beat anybody in two minutes because you ever been in a street fight lasted about a minute, right? <laughs> yeah. I can beat. Listen, and I and throughout my career, that would that would that would bring me down because I'm thinking I just need to get him down. It's over. I don't need to really be in great shape. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, this I can tell you. I get when I fought Carlo Bahedo and for the world title in Brazil. I've been drinking for four months, partying, being in limos three nights a week with all kinds of people, and I go down there. They call me with 10 days' notice. Go, hey, you want to fight Carlo Bejeto for the world title? 10 days' notice. I call Ryan Stout.
2: Well, we're going to get to that, Gary. Okay. We, okay. we got all that covered. So your, your next fight is actually on the inaugural hook-and-shoot. Uh, yeah. Woo! You know, the inaugural right. hook-and-shoot show. Great organization. Yeah, it's now, I pay-per-view. I, I,
1: I love Jeff. Had a great time. I left there owing money too. Uh, he paid me three hundred bucks, and I fought uh, Hicks and Gracie's number one student, Nick Starks. And I body locked him, threw him to the back, head butted him, head butted him, head butted him, he finally quit. <laughs> and uh, I just remember my bar tab being another five hundred, so I'm down two hundred again. I'm not making much money at this point. <laughs> But man, I mm-hmm. sure did love the adrenaline rush. And it's and mm-hmm. that was that Jeff's was bare knuckle. Actually, no time. I think the only two rules are no eye gouging, no biting. Gaze of Calhoun, who fought like a UFC one, was on the undercard of me. And uh How did and you, this far, really I don't even know. It was the weird I was and we were driving, I go, Phyllis, where are you taking me? I go, this is a little weird. I am like we're going out through these woods. And uh I don't, you know. Of course, it's Indiana, but I still am thinking, what well, am I fighting in a parking lot or in a forest or something? What's going on? I see this bar and I'm like, I'm not fighting in there. Am I? She's, yeah. I go, Jesus Christ.
2: So dollars
1: so I had to give Phyllis 20%, just so you know.
2: So there's, and probably pay for her airfare too. So there's there's two fights on the card. How, how did you get hooked up with this event? How did you find out about it? Was everything through Phyllis? I or- was. And once again, I was sitting on a bar stool, Phyllis calls me
1: and I'm hammered. She goes, Hey, you want to fight Saturday? I go, hell, why not? Let's do it. So that's how I got hooked up. She, she must've known Jeff and uh, me and Jeff have been great friends since that very moment. Never had any problems with him. You know, he paid the 300 like a man and, uh, and he actually put me in his hall of fame in 2015 but that fight was uh, – it was another one of those adrenaline rushes. I didn't know what was going to happen. Now they tell me, oh, you're fighting, uh, you know, Gracie's – Hicks and Gracie's number one student. I'm like, yeah, here we go again. I know 0 jujitsu, But I thought, you know what? All I need to do is get him down, and I don't care how good you are with jujitsu. If I start headbutting you, you're going to quit. As long as that's legal, you know. Yeah. we have to start hey, – this. Yeah, yeah, as long as we have to start going into all these rules. That's what ruined me. <laughs> all these frigging rules ruined my career <laughs> bureaucracy <laughs> is
2: what they call it gary yeah
1: and you know after they had started getting every rule that they added ruined my next fight ruined my desire to get in great shape yeah. and uh i love traveling around the world I've been, I've been around the world 16 times for free i mean yeah, I've so, been to russia japan you? brazil saudi arabia i didn't i was invited to do the first uh, submission wrestling championships in Abu Dhabi and I turned it down. You guys understand while I was fighting I was making a ton of money as a real estate agent. I mean I was I worked in a model home for crossing Communities and I was making six figures I mean high six figures and I so most of these guys did not work and to this day I know a lot of fighters that are broke they have nothing. Oh yeah. My father told me in 95 he was do me one favor Gary I go what's that? He goes do not quit your day job ever, because this stuff will be gone. Don't quit it. And that's one advice my father gave me that saved my life.
2: Wow. Well, let's talk about the first hook and shoot show. What was the feel like from the locker well, room? Well, okay, so this barn had a stage
1: in the back, like you'd have a high school stage. So I'm back there in this little, I mean, this room couldn't have been five foot by ten, uh, and, and it was long. <laughs> was it? And uh, it was all dirty, there's mops everywhere. It was like a janitor's uh, closet. And that's what probably I think it was a janitor's closet because so I saw this cleaning supplies and these mops everywhere. Why well, had to warm up in there? Why Hicks and Gracie's student had a nice room. I mean, well, I mean, for the barn, it was at least it was a clean room when I was stuck in the
2: lawn, had a chair
1: in the laundry room. But when I went out there, the same adrenaline that I had in battlecade. Because you, you got to understand, later in life, when I followed Chris Lytle, his show, Banker's Life, I had lost my yep. adrenaline by then, and I could not yep. get fired up to fight anymore. I had lose 60 pounds for that fight and yep. I just didn't care anymore. But anyways, I was in that laundry room, and just hearing the stories from gays that Cal- Calman, I think he was, fought, was with Dan Severn, but fought at first UFC, and I just thought, you know – I'm not as, you know, I just kept thinking, I'm not as good as these guys. You got UFC fighters, you know, this is Jason Gracie's number one student. But man, I, I uh, at that time, I didn't, like I said, I didn't care about nobody, but I body locked him and slammed him. And I, and I, he never, look, they carted him off to the dressing room and he never got up from that. I, I finally, an hour later, went back to his dressing room, was just a room, and he was laying down on his back, bleeding everywhere. And I'm like, hey, man, nice fight. And uh, I left him there, but, um, Back when I first started fighting, I left a lot of guys like that. I mean, a lot.
2: <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's always interesting to kind of go down like paths of history, especially like on first events. Like we yeah. just talked about Extreme Fighting Battlecade. You know, now hook and shoot. Um, another interesting footnote of your career is that you also fought on the first Extreme Challenge with Manny Cox. Yeah. Which is, you know, we had talked a little about earlier where you fought Jeremy Horn.
1: Yeah. So, so Monty
2: actually kind of gave us a little, you know, uh, kind of peek into how that fight took place. Why don't you give us, like, your version?
1: Well, I went out to train at Monty's, and uh, I was down in the basement, which is a funny story. Look, you know, I'm still at this point. This is 96, and I still do not want to learn jiu-jitsu. I thought it was a waste of my time.
2: Are you uncoachable? No, <laughs> I just I'm hard head about
1: wrestling. I, you know,
2: okay. Um, but Mark Coleman admits he was on, un- he's uncoachable to a certain yeah,
1: degree. <laughs> I'll never forget his interview. Where he says, I'm a wrestler. What do I got to do to know about Jitsu? Well, there's a lot to know, but, <laughs> but when you believe in your, you know, cause mm-hmm. if we started, this was about each and everybody's discipline, right? And whose discipline was the best. Well, now all these cross trainers, man, it's you're, you gotta be good about everything. Yeah. And, um, but with Monty Cox, I wouldn't train there. I'll never forget it. So when I enrolled with Jason Gotzi, if he got me in a hole, he'd let go. He, he I knew I was sunk and we didn't go through this tapping process, right? He was like, oh, and I and that was it. We didn't have to tap. Well, I went out to his uh, Monty Cox training with Pat Miletic, and uh, his buddy was a cop at the time where well, he arm barred me and Bob broke my arm. And I was like, Oh, well, he'll do what are you doing? He's like, Well, we tap around here. Well, I had started learning jiu-jitsu with Gatsy, where was, you knew you were in a rear naked, or you knew you were in an arm, but you just let it go, right? No big deal. Well, nobody ever, I had never thought to tap. Like, nobody told me, that's what you do in training. But that dude about broke my arm off. <laughs> so, um, I wrestled a guy from Iowa there, and uh, put it on him, on his feet. But Pat Biletic, I'll never forget, first time I met him. He gets up on my chest, you know, past the guard, and he goes, hey, and puts his it gets up under my elbows with his knees, and he goes, okay, go. Where well, are you going to go from here? I mean, like, you're already on my chest. Like, <laughs> I have no idea. Like, can you start the guard, which I didn't know the guard anyway, so could you? how are you going to start on my chest? <laughs> so but I don't know how the fight came about him setting the fight. I just know that I always bring up the money because everybody thinks his fighters get rich, but he paid me 500 bucks to show up at the... The VA, set, the VA Coliseum, and um, I would have got another 500 to win. And I took – I mean, I'm beating Jeremy up pretty good on his feet, so I decide to take him down. I want to go for the headbutts, right? But man, this guy, Jeremy stuck his head up under my arm, and I'm out over him, and he's up under my arm, and I cannot figure out how to get him back. But the next thing I know, dude – I feel this, and I don't even know how he got there. I feel this intense pain in my elbow where he popped my corpuscle I had, in my elbow. I had no idea he had already transitioned to his own arm bar. I mean, until I felt the pain. I didn't even see him go to it. And uh, so it was right then and there. I decided I would never uh, fight again without not learning just to do it, but stay out of everything. So my his goal was to stay out of everything.
2: So and that first extreme challenge card it's almost like a who's who of Midwest studs that made it to the UFC you had Jason Godsey on the card Dave Strasser Dan Severn Travis Fulton Pat Militich Jeremy Horn who obviously fought yourself Jason Godsey actually lost to a guy named Paul Williams who doesn't fight after that Paul must have been an absolute savage and Tyrone Roberts
1: fought to kind of like a draw I think Jason kind of ended up losing but you realize Jason immediately fought Jeremy Horn a couple months later, in Michigan, and beat him.
2: Yeah, I was at that. Yeah. Fight. So that that room, it it had a lot of uh, alphas Ooh. in there, you Ew. know, guys that just weren't used to losing.
1: Yeah, and um, you know, my only regret because I really didn't have. I started training with the police officers of Muncie. They didn't know jujitsu either in the basement. Uh, my only regret was not hooking up with like Pat Militich or one of those guys to actually learn how to fight. Uh, I had to piece this all together by myself. And um, it was, I mean, there was times I ran into Chris or whatever, uh, but I had started before all these guys and I had to do this on my own. Like I put in a couple of tapes just jujitsu. I just got bored, you know, to try <laughs> to learn that stuff. I just would turn it off. And I, so it took me a couple of years to learn it. I mean, even though you, you don't have to be good at jujitsu, you just got to make sure you don't get armbarred or choked or you know how to get out of that stuff, pass a guard, put a knee in. I mean, you just got to know your way around it. You don't, you don't need to be a great submission artist. You just got to make sure you don't get caught.
2: Yeah, so Manny said he sent you the tape of Jeremy. And Miguel, what was the quote that Manny said? Essentially it was, he doesn't look good, but he's much better than how he looks.
3: Yeah, and, and he said you weren't all that impressed with the tape. He said you mentioned that uh, uh, this guy can't beat me. If he beats me, I'll quit or something like that. I
2: quit MMA altogether. Yeah.
1: We're, oh, was oh, Jeremy that. Horn? Yeah. yeah. I mean, listen. He doesn't look great, but it's, it's, holy it's how what is what he amazing? When I knew I was fighting a world kickboxing champ, who who in the van, he tells me he's not. And I know what particular skill I have. I know I was, I didn't worry. So, Jeremy Horn had a particular skill of being good at jiu-jitsu. So, in his mind, he just had to withstand whatever the front part of me fighting was and put me in an armbar or whatever. That, so, he has the luxury of knowing something I don't. And he can say, if I lose this guy, I'm fighting him. Well, that's true. If you fight a wrestler who's never trained jiu-jitsu, you can't armbar him or you can't choke him out, then it's your, you should never wrestle again. I mean, you should never fight <laughs>
2: But Jeremy was amazing, though. I mean, just yeah. incredibly deceiving by how he looked and yeah. the way he fought. You okay, know, I to a world title fight with uh, Chuck Liddell, So, yeah, and was working. And, yeah. and, you know, like your approach in regards to, hey, you know, if I can't beat this guy, I'm out of here. I bet you his first 50 opponents said that exact same thing. I mean, it's just he's very deceiving. Oh, you're saying that I said if I can't beat him, I'm out of here. That, that's that's what Monty insinuated. Oh, n- never. I, I okay. Uh, well, Jeremy was oh, only four. You remember oh, Jeremy was only were, four more. I
1: thought you were saying it. I um, uh, was saying if he couldn't beat me no. because of his jiu-jitsu. I, I apologize. No, I'm, I'm – that kind of stuff, that kind of talk doesn't come out. I am more of an adrenaline junkie where I don't do much talking. I like to get out there. Why do you think I ran to the ring every time? I never wanted my concentration broke. I always sprinted to the cage because I didn't want, like, I've got wrestlers. If, if they see their girlfriend in the stand, it's a distraction, right? I wanted to get in there, put my head down, and let's fight. I never, yeah. I never thought of people as, I can beat this guy. I never thought like that. I just knew that I had to get him to the ground. And my one thought from leaving that dressing room was to get in that cage as fast as I could and get it on. There was no, I didn't want to be distracted. And yeah. I never talked to people like that. I, I come from wrestling and I just never, I never spoke
2: about my opponents like that. It's cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you got to remember sometimes when people are offered fights, it's, Oh yeah, I could beat them. You know? Oh yeah. You know? So it's, you know, Okay. So I grew up in a glorious, um, era. <clears throat>
1: you didn't pick and choose your fights. <laughs> you fought whoever they told you to fight. True. Yeah. And, uh, that was the era I was in because even if I was sitting here at home, And if Phyllis called me, I never had a discussion of, oh, I really don't want to fight right now. Dude, I mean, I've taken so many fights from a bar (laughs) stool that I've been drinking, and they said, do you want to fight? And I, you know, just like Brazil, I hadn't, I've been drinking hard for four months, and I took that (laughs) fight. And, but I, you know, I didn't come in the era of you could pick and choose who you fought. You fought whoever they said you were fighting. Now these guys, they can even pull out and fake an injury, whatever. I mean, just they have that luxury. <clears throat> when I was trying to get known and trying to fight, you fought everybody, anybody they put in front of you had to fight.
2: So, did Phyllis also hook you up with uh your bump and pain in May of 1997 against Yuki Kondo? Yeah, that was uh, that was one fight I probably should have never fought.
1: Was yeah, out shape then, but- too. So she flies me by myself to Kobe, uh, Japan. So I don't even get warm up. Now, you got to understand, pain crisis. What the hell is that? I watched a couple of tapes of him. I've seen him fight shamrock. I go, I'll, I'll be okay. Uh, I fly to Japan by myself. You know, they pay me $1,250 and send me in a nine hour bullet train or whatever to Kobe, fight the fashion mart. And, uh, but while I'm there, um is his name Jason DeLucia from U.S.
0: De yeah. Jason DeLucia.
1: So I want to shout out to him. He's an American trader. Uh, <laughs> I trained <laughs> with him while I was there, and I told him during his training, I go, man, how do you get kicked in the head? i ain't never been kicked in the head. I go, how is that even possible? So I had to spend my days training with him. I didn't know he was Yuki Kondo's best friend. Yeah. I had to this to him. Uh, so I walk into the ring. First thing that happens, Are you guys seen the tape, I get kicked. Yeah, you he took a
2: head, a strong head kick, opening opening exchange.
1: And I, I got up and was and kept fighting. A couple of the things he did, Jason Delusion, before I walked into a cage. He's Gary. Just so you know, it's disrespectful to hit somebody in the face. Even if you're on top, you cannot slap them in the face. It's disrespectful here in Japan. Don't do it. Well, I just saw later Jason Gotzi ta- beat Takahashi and Yuki Kondo with freaking slapping the crap out of him. Remember that, Chris? <laughs> oh, yeah. Takahashi slapped, I mean, like he was his little kid. And uh, but Delusha had been setting me up to lose his fight the whole time I'm there. Mm-hmm. So I get up keep fighting. So the guy goes into a knee bar and it's silence there. Dude, I don't, Chris, you fought there, but it, when I was Many there. Many times. You can't silent. hear yeah. You could hear a pin drop. It's very yeah. scary. Fury. Yeah. And I, uh, and it was not the pride days where you at least saw some people clapping. I mean, nobody was like silence. And I thought it was the most, I thought I was on Mars. The weirdest feeling going out that <laughs> fight. I was on that same fight car with Joel Sutton from UFC one who fought Suzuki. And uh, who's the guy's like seven foot tall? Semi-Sholtz. semi yeah. Shultz
2: was on the card. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So anyways, I go through that fight. <clears throat> I'm sitting in my dressing room for three days straight on the edge of the bed. I haven't moved. I'm sweating. I've been. I thought I was stuck on stupid the rest of my life. I got to uh, hotel room and I third day. Joel Sutton comes in and goes, "Hey, dude, we got to get on the plane." I go, "Man, where are we at again? What country are we in?" He goes, "Dude, we're in Japan. Come on, let me get your stuff." He got me to the airport, but I thought I was stuck that way. That was the most scary time of my life in fighting. That I had a obviously a severe concussion kicked in the head yeah, yeah it was from
2: the concussion in that opening exchange huh yeah and i i dude i got up you can tell i, I look normal i'm watching that going you hey, never really hey, recovered from it though you know uh, you never really recovered from it i
1: don't well in that days mouth. later i still don't even know what country i'm in yeah I mean, literally so, i sat on the bed and i hadn't moved wow and uh and normally i'd be out drinking whatever you know what well, i like to do we're and
0: uh
2: um, so do you think Jason DeLucia set you up? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The things that happened
1: and the things he told me, I mean, I was training. He was the only exclusive knowledge of me over there. I mean, you got to remember this is a uh, Pancras alive tour, like 97. Um, uh, y- you hadn't seen much of my fights, probably just Battlecade, Right. But him kicking me in the head five seconds into the fight. I realized it. Uh, you know, because I made a big deal. I'm, how's that ever even happen? I, I made a big deal of that never happened to me. And the fact that I mounted or I, yeah, I mean, I was on top of you and I, they called me for trying to break his fingers. I wasn't, I just didn't know what to do. because I'm not a jujitsu guy. And <laughs> I wanted to, you know, you can't headbutt. I can't. And I've been warned by delusion that that's not what you do in Japan is slap people, or I would slap the crap. Head like Jason Gossie did.
0: Yeah,
2: So, so, Delucia, he's an interesting character. So, I think he's from, like, Massachusetts, yeah. you know, Tiberia. Yeah. And when you look at his record, he's a 50 Fight Club veteran. But, like, 95% of his fights are in Japan. Okay, like, so
1: let uh, me tell you about him. He goes over there about once a <laughs> month back then. And I, I watched, uh, is Ito, I think his name, and Jason, Chris might have, what did you say? Ito. Yeah. yeah, you might have seen him. I just thought he, like the pancreas, you know, they always handed the money at the airport, right? And these white, he, he must have made a good living off of it, but he was there about once a month. It seemed like to me. Uh, I remember them paying him at the airport, and I just looked at him like oh, I just want to punch you in the face. <laughs> but I was, I don't know when I came around. I mean, it was I'd be put on a plane, <laughs> and I don't, and I. I don't remember him who me up at the airport back here in America, but I was, I was, I was hurt. Wow.
2: Wow. So Delucia, did you have a conversation with him after this or? No,
1: no. It's the only time I ever seen him in my life was that, that uh, training with him before. Now, when you go to Japan, they put you in a room and there's nobody around and it gets to be mind numbing. You don't understand um, anything like the language, anything. And I had to sit in that room. I don't know why they brought me so early. I was in that room. It seemed like I got there like nine days before this fight. And I just sat in that room the whole time. And I only got to train one time. So that one time I went to train. I'm trying to pass Joel Sutton's guard. We're just working that. And I get into the ring. And I'm constantly working with Jason and this, that, and the other. But they, they were best friends in the I don't know if anybody knows this. They were best friends. Oh, yeah. And he speaks Japanese. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, he, uh, you know, I just to this day, I think that was pretty bad.
0: But they, 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 know, they loved, the him, over there, they loved him over there, dude. They loved him over there. I remember when I, I went over there and I, I stayed and I trained for a while, and I ended up having a fight against him. And he was ranked fourth in the, in, in Pancras. I was like, all right, cool. And I was undefeated at the time. And if you watch a fight, I think I won. And uh, I lost a, like a majority decision or something. And I was just like, Nah, I mean, they liked him, you know, so yeah. he kissed her ass. He played the game. And like you said, you know how the mental games there, like you're talking, not, not mental games, they're very smart about stuff. I remember I went over there once against a guy named, uh, uh, I think, Yamamia. And, and before that, I was over there once and, and they I just went to the gym and they were there and I was like, oh, here's somebody to roll with. So I went and started, started rolling with the guy. And I'm a new guy at this point. So I'm still trying to impress these guys. And he, he's like the Neo blood tournament champion. he yeah. So I started rolling with him and uh, I'm giving my a game and I submit him like three times. I remember thinking, dude, he's not that good. We'll come to realize all he was doing was I wasn't even supposed to fight him. And all I was, all he was doing was learning my moves and learning what I was doing. So we fought like six months later. He knew everything I was gonna do, and he'd already he'd already practiced. So I'm like, they're very they they knew the game way more than I did. They that was very smart him just to let me do whatever. I felt like a badass, and I felt like I was better than him. And he knew exactly what I was gonna do. So they're very smart about manipulating. Like like you said, Lucia, he manipulated you, and that's a game they play. That they they use good. They use more tactics than I ever thought they were doing back then. I didn't. I
1: don't get where this slapping stuff comes into play, and you can't hit the. Face you got a punch to the body if you do throw anything on your feet. I just don't. I don't
2: get it. Well, I mean, just so we can kind of let the the people at home understand what took place. Yuki Kondo um, is the world champion for Pancrase at that time, and they brought you in for a main event without a corner. So you come without a corner. (laughs) Yuki Kondo's got the belt on, and Yuki doesn't take the belt off until he's in the ring and they announce his full name. The audience stops clapping. Okay, now I take my belt off. So he starts with a head kick, which lands, and the Pancreas rules it. It, it, um, it requires that whenever a knockdown like that takes place, that there's like an eight count that follows in order to allow the your receiving fighter, you know, to, to recover as well as continue the fight. And when Miguel and I were prepping for this interview, I said. I said to him either he didn't recover from that opening kick because it it was hard. And, and, you know, Yuki was wearing boots, I might add. Um, Or he didn't know the rules until he got there. I didn't know the rules until I got there. Okay, so that is true.
1: Yeah, (laughs) And that's why Jason DeLuce takes me through this hole. you can't slap while the guy's down on the ground. It's disrespectful. They consider it a big, you know, deal if you do. And uh, Jason Gatsy didn't get that memo. Thank God. <laughs> i don't think Jason uh, cared. Man, yeah, I just like I watched those fights. I'm like, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> I watched Gotzi's fights, you know, a couple years later when he was fighting him going, I'm gonna kill that Dolusha guy. <laughs> yeah. But um, so why do I go over there and fight for the world title right off the bat? I don't know jujitsu. What they I'm pay not a good stand-up fighter. Well why did, I, why did I get a a warm-up fight, a couple warm-up fights.
0: You know what they love doing they love bringing in big strong american guys with names to try and beat i mean that that's that made them look good i mean that's a good for the fans the story made it look good that's that's what it's about what'd you get paid for that bout? 1250. at which uh, i had to give phyllis 20
2: percent a thousand two hundred and fifty dollars yeah that's a right. world title
0: fight big money back in the day mike quit judging <laughs>
2: It was big
1: money. I mean, remember I was fighting for $300. <laughs> yeah. And wow. that bar cap was bigger than my fight purse. <laughs>
2: yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, another, you know, we, we briefly talked about it earlier. Um, you know, your, your career has got just certain points in it that are incredibly fascinating for us historians. And you fought on the International Valley Tudo Championships 5. And you fought against Walid Ishmael.
3: Yeah. Oof.
2: And he, dude, you know what was really cool watching that fight? Carlson Senior was in Walid's corner. It was good to see just a little bit of footage of of Carlson doing what it is he loved doing. I, I have a ton of respect for that guy. So you know uh, what they
1: did to me at that fight, right?
2: Uh, you know what I don't, but I've got my notes. But why don't you start?
1: So I, I uh, had to make weight twice, and if it hadn't been for Daryl uh national Greco-Roman champion, I wouldn't have made it the second time. I flew to Brazil, and I was in good shape. I trained for that fight. You know, it's bare knuckles. Everything's it's right up my alley. But they ruined my legs before I even got in that cage. I mean, I was dead. I i weighed um, about, I'd probably say I weighed 240 when I took the fight. I had to weigh 199. Ooh. So I fly, no water, fly 17 hours. I'm dehydrated as crap. I get there. I'm still over. I'm about 209. So I cut 10 pounds. I'm running all day. So their scales are jacked up. I look. I had scales in the in the locker or in my room. It sounds about 198. I cut about 11 pounds. So I go down. I never saw Vali Ismail. Apparently he weighed in. Then I weighed in. They called me. So I went back to my room after I made weight. They called me and said, hey, you got to make, you got to come down and weigh in, in front of Felicia Ismail. Now you got to understand, I've already, there's no food that you need back here. <clears throat> so I had quarter pounds of cheese, milk. I had bought a gallon of milk. I had already put on 11 pounds. I mean, just in that just an hour's time. So I'm already, so I go back down. Daryl Golar is like, hey, get in that, sauna puts a bike in there and he works out with me now he's already made weight and he's already had to do this during the day with me he was ripped off of that show bigger than anybody anyways uh I could I mean it was everything I could do to get back down again so 10 o'clock at night I tell Battarelli I'm ready to weigh in I'm back down to weight literally I go to weigh in and I make weight no, no is Ismail anywhere and I, now you mind you I flew there dehydrated, got there at 10 a.m and I must have ran five or six hours. Um, but I would be fine because 24 hours would go around my legs would be fine. Yeah. But I had to come back mm-hmm. at seven o'clock and run till 10 o'clock in a sauna room with blankets over me to make weight again and Felice doesn't even show up for the second weigh in. Now everybody saw me weigh in the first time. And that wasn't good enough, he had to be there. Then he doesn't show up for the second one, way in, so it's all these little tricks you do everywhere you go around the world. They have their own little way of putting it on you without you even knowing it, and they have no recourse to uh uh fight against it. So the time I walked out there, we fought 30 minutes, but man, I, my legs were dead. I mean, just fried.
2: Well, well, let's 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 rewind a little bit. So Sergio Buttarelli is the name you threw, he's yeah, sometimes loved and sometimes despised in yeah. regards to the people that have, you know, had their experience with him. Yeah. Uh, was Frederico LaPenda there as well? I don't know him. Okay, so... Uh, i got ser- a poster uh, on so my wall downstairs. <laughs> Sergio Battarelli, what was your experience with him as a promoter?
1: Okay, so I never had problems with Sergio. He just said you're not fighting if you don't make weight again. i like, oh my God, are you kidding me? i just been drinking gallons of milk and... and what, eat- we,
2: what were you getting paid for this?
1: um three grand and
2: i mean especially in brazil it's three grand in brazil plus a flight you know yeah. oh and not I to could, mention
1: your money activities you get to do while you're down there so anyways i won't go into that but i'm just saying it's a trip you don't want to miss <laughs> and uh <laughs> the women down there are beautiful and um so Bradley, i had no problems with him i, I just the, that little weigh-in problem but well, I, he came to pay me the next day, so he just said, man, you're a great fighter. I mean, he was very complimentary. I had no problems with him. I mean, he brought me back to fight for the heavyweight title, but the problem was I hadn't trained in four months. I mean, literally not walked into the gym in four months, and i have been partying.
2: Uh, well, here. Let, let's let's stay on Walid. We're, we're, yeah. we're not through with this shit. So, yeah. This is the interesting part. Waleed, for I think it's 20 minutes, 20 or 30 minutes, in essence, pins gary in the corner like like literally stands up pins like they're they're upright and he's got them in the corner and he's just i'm not gonna call it dirty boxing i'm gonna say it's like a ground and pound that's really slow where you're just yelling at the referee will you please just separate or stand them up and the entire about- time hey, gary i think you muted but the entire time gary every once in a while will will put his hands like his arms on the ropes or even just like resting his hand. And the referee will is all over Gary. He can't touch the rope. You can't touch the ropes. Meanwhile, while he's pushing him in the corner and then digging his entire hand in the knee, like like your knee pad and yanking on Gary's knee pad in order to get a takedown. So you (laughs) you know, pull on shorts and knee pads, but you know, if you have palm down on top of a rope, wait a minute. You're breaking the rules here. So he pounded on my leg. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah.
1: He pounded on my leg for that 30 minutes. Just kept hitting my leg, hitting my leg. I had such a huge, huge hematoma on my leg that next day I could hardly walk. Uh, but we stood in that corner, and I don't know why he, they didn't break it up to start. I mean, because horrible. who comes to a fight and go, want to see these guys lean on each other for 30 minutes? Two in shape guys. But he, when he came out there, let me just tell you about Pele. Pele stops me in the hallway. I, nobody knows his story. Pele stops, and he, I don't know. He doesn't know English. I don't know uh, how to speak Portuguese. Portuguese. Yeah. He goes, Look. And then he goes, You got a boxing. He was just trying to say that to me. Like he didn't like Vilis for some reason. Pele was telling me how to beat him. And I, that's the first time I went to somewhere and somebody told me how to beat somebody. It was from that country. And, uh, but he come out there because I talked to the later. Wallet, I don't know how you say his name. Uh, he shot on me. I thought, "Are you? How dumb are you?" He shot on me, and uh, he didn't take me down. My feet went out of the ring. You know they have these little uh, Robe. robes. so the string Nets. robes. I ripped those apart, and um, <laughs> he. Uh, so, when we get back up, at the end of the fight, he tells me, oh, they told me you're a great boxer. <laughs> I was like, who told you that lie? <laughs> I suck at boxing.
2: Yeah, it was, it it was, was interesting. Was it was interesting.
1: A, I, you know what? I could not get my legs moving. I mean, I, you know, as a wrestler, if I'm in an over and under, I should be able to get out of that, right? That day, I was so tired. I just couldn't get my legs, my mind and my legs together. I'd, you know, you're talking about I've ran from 10 a.m. to 10 o'clock at night in a, in a, in a sauna with a blanket mm-hmm. over me and riding a bike. That's what my day was like. And,
0: good,
1: uh, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't believe that he didn't show up the second weigh-in.
0: He probably never was going to to begin with. Yeah.
1: Probably, you know, I guarantee it. You know, I went in with everybody, everybody and God watching. But because he wasn't at that weigh-in, I'm like, where was he? I didn't see him weigh-in either. It. But I will tell you this, that, you know, he's kind of a light guy. I felt like he juiced up to that weight because he he did feel strong. Like he, you know, I've wrestled a lot of guys juicing. And uh, now nah, I, I guess I should say I never should accuse anybody of that, but let me tell you something. I, <laughs> that guy felt like there was something else going on with him. And I, but didn't bother me. I mean. He couldn't control me even with my legs fried. Yeah. Um, but little things like that has always happened to me wherever I went, little crazy stuff. Uh, I once took a fight. I was in a hotel at a casino and had been partying nonstop. I didn't sleep two days before a fight. And uh, when in, in a fight, I got hit in the back of the head and kind of dropped me. But I would do things like self sabotage myself sometimes.
2: Wow. Well, um, Let's talk about Carlos Beheto So they bring you back. Yeah. They bring you back um, a little over a year later. You're in a few months, August 26, 1999, where they put you in a heavyweight title fight against Carlos Beheto And, you know, in order to properly understand this at home, Carlos Beheto at the time, um, he had wins over Bobby Hoffman. I mean, let's, let's just go through like who we speak. Bobby Hoffman, Paul Varlins, Brandon Lee Hinkle, Kevin Randleman, Dan Bobish, Trey Deligman, and and Ben Rothwell. So, Carlos and in, in all honesty, and this is not just going, hey, you know, we got a guy in our program that bought him. At, at, at a certain point in his career, he was top three in the world. Now, he just lost a pride fight, you know, at this point, and this is kind of his bounce back. But Carlos Bejeto is a an incredible athlete. Very talented.
1: Yeah, I I didn't know who he was at and I'm telling you. Now that you tell me all that stuff, I should have canceled oh, that damn fight. I should have said <laughs> no. But I guarantee you, the first thing in my mind, and I can sit here and tell you, I knew I was going back to Brazil, and I had a fight, a puncher's chance. Because let me tell you, anything can happen in this fight game. You you would believe some of the greatest guys that will crumble mentally, and oh, yes. you would, and you would think you could never beat them. But something happens to them. It could have been their buddy going, hey. Watch out for Lilo's armbar. Next thing you know, Lilo's choking you out. It's but it's just like I always believed I could win no matter how bad in shape I was, no matter what I ever did. I always felt like I had a chance. And I did not know that he had that. I I knew some of his wins, but I didn't pay attention, didn't care. I called Ryan Stout and he goes, Well, what are you gonna do for 10 days for Brazil? I go, let's train. He goes, Ah, Gary, he goes, that's overrated. He goes, just keep doing what you're doing. You're not gonna get in shape enough to. You know you're not gonna do in 10 days what you should have done been for four months right so me and him just went to the bar and started drinking and <laughs> continued on but we never we didn't train he came to my house with this big intention of, what do we do, what do we do then he finally looked at me and said you've been drinking for four months i go yeah 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 and he goes let's just continue so we went to the bar we went <laughs> to club mark down by chris lyle's old stomping grounds on stop eleven of Madison Avenue <laughs>
3: So Bahetto, John Wayne,
1: what's that? What was John Wayne. Wayne? Was actually, yeah, it was across the street.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> I used to bounce so, at Club Mark.
2: Okay. So, so Baheto takes the same approach that Walid had. Yes. He pins Gary in the corner yeah. and just pounds on his legs.
1: Yeah, but and, I don't know if you guys saw this, but we we went to need each other, and he broke my leg. Oh, really? And. and uh, Miguel was saying it was my foot. No, it was my shin. He broke my shin. And, uh, yeah, I, I hobbled around. I, knew, I wasn't going to the hospital there. There's no way after I saw one of their hospitals, there's no way I was walking in there. Probably I get a dirty knife or he goes, the guy goes, Just let me give you a shot for the pain. I go, no, no, no. You're not sticking anything in me. And I had a broken leg. I flew back to America with my leg about that big. Nice. And, uh, I can barely walk, had no crutches and I had a broken shin. So, they went in and operated when I got back and fixed it. So, I got a big scar on my knee right where they went in and put a bolt in there and stuff. Uh, and I went out partying that night with a broken leg. <laughs> hey, so, yeah, I've been drinking since the third grade. You do know though, <laughs> about me.
2: So, Gary, Gary's listed as 200 wins, two losses, and one draw. And I had to, I'll take it. Is that my record? That's <laughs> yeah, your
0: Apparently. record. <laughs> I am to be the most great fighter on this podcast <laughs> by far, <laughs> hey, Gary.
2: But that was part of the show back then, you know. Yeah. Um, you Did know, me at 200 wins and two losses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. holy crap! are oh, you were hey, good, ever, dude.
1: Hey, ever since <laughs> I, I, I figured my record was like 69, 10, and 1. Okay, and I had about fifty fights in that bar before I before we got a hold of Phyllis. I'd go there every weekend and fight, and I wish I knew the name of it. It was downtown Indian. I cannot remember the name of that place, but it had a strip club and a and just another little bar on the other side. But my first experience fighting was state police escort me out of the damn place. <laughs> so, and they go, so Gary, did yeah. you ever did you ever get ripped off by a promoter? No, and I'll tell you, I thought the first one would be Jamie Levine from WEF.
2: Wef. Yeah. I
1: thought he paid me. Uh, he gave me an option, or Monty did, uh, twenty five hundred to show against Rich Franklin, who I had no idea who he was, uh, <laughs> and five grand to win, and or I take five grand straight fee. I'm thinking that I'll take that's pretty good money. So, I mean, for a fighter like you know back in the day, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And, uh, so I took that fight, but I had, and listen, I had a good training camp. I, I know I had a plenty of time to know three months ahead of time. So I worked hard and which is, which is a story I've never told. My buddies know that trained me that 30 days before that fight, I tore my growing muscle. I mean, like bad, I was running sprints at Munchie central when Todd Moore were running, boom, I just felt something pop. It's a month before this fight. And I'd already had a, great two months of training been working my hands I mean everything was coming together and uh, tore my growing muscle and I took the fight anyway because of the money like five, <laughs> you turn down five grand I mean yeah. even though I was making six figures I was like first of all you don't turn down fights and you don't turn down five grand back then for an Indiana oh, yeah. fight it oh, was you not know, yeah. on pay per view and uh, but I couldn't shoot at all and, and so we switched our game plan to you know to just boxing. So I could not shoot it anymore. I was done. So I couldn't shoot on a guy. So I had a feeling once we got against the cage and stuff, it was going to be a long night. If you look at me going into the third period, I was stretching out my leg. I could not get that. It hurt so bad. I asked him for a shot before, but they didn't have any, this guy said, well, I got some, that needle's about that long. I was like, ah, oh, that's all right.
0: <laughs> but
1: I, but if you look at the third period, I almost didn't come out for the last period. I, my hurt, my groin hurt so bad, and I was stretching it, stretching it, and I almost didn't come out. I took a lot of time. I thought they were gonna tell me I was over, but I turned around, went back out there, and that's when he kicked me in the head. But the thing that always pissed me off this day, I knew I wasn't winning that fight, but they had a thing with WF. They had a standing eight count. when he hit me, he didn't break no stunt. He caught me like right here, not here, up in the head. He just caught me as a break no stunt. I kind of went down. I mean you guys are going to break your studies. You just kind of oh, yeah. your body involuntarily goes down, but you can get right back up. So I did. And I go, where's my eight count? And they said it's over. I'm like, are you kidding me? But I mean, like, nobody follows the rules anymore.
2: Yeah. <laughs> they make the rules, they don't
1: want to follow them. So I always pay attention at the rules meeting, and I and I've never been able to protest. And <laughs> when they've
2: so guess, an ins- interesting caveat to that card is that was uh, a loaded infinite. card. This is a sick card. Dave Monet fought uh, Pele Landis Jones.
3: Yeah,
2: on that on that card. Were you in the hotel? We had Alex Davis on. I don't know about six seven months ago, where he told us kind of a famous story involving uh, Pele in regards <laughs> to the hotel room.
3: Yeah,
2: and you know, essentially running, getting robbed by a woman from a local woman from Evansville, running out of the hotel room naked, in essence, doing a flying knee and breaking the windshield of a taxi cab uh, you know, taxi cab, in order to get his money back. Were, were you there at any point in time when that was going on? Okay, so I was at the hotel, <laughs> and my buddy said something was going on outside,
1: but I was hammered. And I said, <laughs> it was after the fight. And I go, ah, I'm not going out there. I'll, I'll get thrown in jail for something stupid. I said, I'm staying in my room. All my buddies went out, but I just continued to big beer and I, I I so I wasn't privy to any of that stuff. I knew it was something was going on, but I wouldn't leave my room. And I, another reason I didn't want to leave my room, I was just I was pretty, you know, beside myself losing that fight. And not that I ever thought I was going to win or whatever. It just I was just frustrated, me being hurt and couldn't perform the way I should have. But I never turned down a fight ever, man. That was the bad part about me. I would never assess my situation and go look. So, <laughs> don't take this fight but here's the problem when i was fighting you never knew when opportunities were coming jason used to get them jason gotch used to get my case all the time and say you got to stay prepared stay ready I'm like man i gotta live life i mean i don't know when these opportunities are coming
0: and i'm not gonna stop living and that okay yeah. there, here's another thing man it's like uh i feel like people like you may have like i don't know if it's a if it's a sickness or what it is but I can't turn down fights either. I feel like if you think you're the baddest dude around on the planet, you can beat anybody at any time, how can you turn it down? If I say no, then all of a sudden that's doubt creeping into me. And How do you fight if you don't think you're going to win? You know, If you don't think you're the best guy ever, how can you take any fight? So I couldn't turn down a fight either. No matter what, I always had to do it. And I think that's you have the same thing as me. You can't turn down a fight. Then you're afraid. You know, I'm not doing that. Yeah, and you don't know when your next opportunity is coming. Yeah. I wait another year not to
1: fight. I mean, you just don't know what – you don't know where those opportunities come. And you don't know which one, to be quite frank, puts you on the map, right? Yeah. Puts you on the projection. You know, Prey would never put me in the UFC. You know, and listen, the UFC was right up my alley at that time. But those yeah. Yeah, of you got, got into it in the dressing room over my shoes, he never <laughs> forgave me for that. He went, and he was the matchmaker of the UFC. wouldn't put me in. <laughs> I'll tell you something. I went to fight Tommy Glambo in, in Extreme Fighting 4, and we got into it there. I'm like, why am I fighting Tommy Glanville again? I and I was had gotten in shape, and he goes, uh, "This is going to be your opponent." They never told me who my opponent was until the day I walked up the night of the fight. Wow! We're fighting Tommy Glanville, I was so pissed off. Glanville was pissed too. we like, we just fought each other.
3: Yeah.
1: And uh, I paid twelve fifty for that fight, and uh, it, it, so we got in the ring. He made a mistake. I took him down, but a girl ground and pound. But you realize we could hear Peretti talking, and he was talking trash about us while we were fighting. We just shut down. We both didn't throw another punch. We just kind of battered around. I never even tried another takedown, and I was in shape to get those. I, I just—I'd
2: so, had it with him. So, what was the, the was it the gym shoe incident? That, that, no the wrestling that,
1: shoes. Remember, I'd just get my
2: right, go goes, You can't wear those. I go. Yeah, or I'm. I go. Yeah, I
1: am. Or I'm not fighting. All
2: right. So, then, on the WEF card where you fought Rich Franklin, yeah. Conan Silvera headlined against Dan Sever. Did you talk to Conan prior to the bout? Did you guys ever communicate I, after that? I saw
1: him. I've never spoke to him. But I took a picture with him after our fight at the after-fight party. I never spoke to him again until Conor McGregor was at UFC and I was at that fight. And, uh, um, and, and he can speak English now, whatever, but We've never talked about that fight. We've never, we've always said hi or whatever, took a picture and went on, but we've never discussed that. Um, I should have been a world champion that night, period. Period.
2: Yeah. I thought that was taken from you. I mean, yeah. and it's, I mean, so, period. So, let me ask you about the other, the other end of that book.
3: How about, how about Severn? He's a wrestler, more or less from your end and stuff. Yeah. Like, what are your thoughts on him? And like, uh, you know, Some of his fights are questionable sometimes. You know what I mean? (laughs) He's had a a bunch of fake fights.
1: You know, I I, kind of honestly know about all this stuff, everything. I I think some of these guys get in there and do not want to risk their reputations for a small show where you're, I remember they used to pay Dan like three grand every fight. I, to me, I thought that was, that's a lot of money. And this is back early. and But he would use that, but he'd fight Dan there every weekend for that kind of money. You can make a living that way, I guess. Yeah. But I think a lot of these fighters were dames. They put them on the card, but they did not want to put them against anybody that could beat them. They wanted to keep that hype up there, put people in the seats. And the fighter did not want to re- lose his reputation. And uh, as you know, Dan had a reputation. But uh, even the – so he didn't, I don't think – I mean, he's certainly a very decorated wrestler in America, and he's earned all his accolades. Very good wrestler out of Arizona. Him and his brothers, great wrestlers. But I think as you get into the game, and I don't, I don't mention any particular fights, I think a lot of people put certain people on cards and sell tickets, but the one thing the fighter will say is, hey, don't put me in jeopardy. Don't – you know, I'm going to do this for you at a lower fee – so I'm, you know, basically, give me a tomato can or let's work this fight out. I think that's, in all honesty, that's my opinion. Okay. I don't think they want to risk reputations on uh, uh, trying to, you know, and it costs too much.
2: Well, well you're- Gary, I mean, you're, you're essentially saying is that there was a bit of showmanship in regards to Dan Severn at certain aspects or points in his career, which is something that we've ran into a few times, you know, on his podcast.
0: Right.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I get it. You guys got to make a living. But okay. it's, it's harder
1: to pay two tough guys to fight at a small show for three grand. He came, he, he came four, to Muncie. Four. He came to Muncie and he fought a guy that's dead now. It's passed away, but the guy had no business in that cage, no business. And it's harder to fight to. And they, I think they paid him five hundred bucks. I picked him up at the airport. He stayed all night with me, and uh, and we partied. Oh, dude, we partied the night before that fight. And uh, <laughs> so Dan fought him. Mean, He's just a big. Kickboxer, overweight, shit. Dan took him down. Mean, but you no business fighting that guy. But you cannot bring two superstars, the Muncie, Indiana, and the Fortepam. It just doesn't work out.
2: No, not possible.
1: I mean, you can't so, have two guys fighting each other in the main event. You know that if they're if they're, really, if they're already really well known, you know, there's, sometimes you put a main event together, you have no idea how this fight's going to turn and becomes the greatest fighter of, of the night. You know, I've seen some in Indiana where they matched some people up, paid them crap. The next thing you know, you got one of the best fights you've ever seen.
2: Right. You
1: know? For sure. You can't bring superstars in and local shows and stuff and pay both fighters. You can pay one. You can afford to get away paying like damn, you can't pay you the other. Pay
2: okay. Yeah, that's interesting. So, Chris, how do you and Gary know each other?
0: Like I said, when I first started training, uh, you know, Gary was kind of a well-known commodity then in uh we would just, um, every now and again, we'd just be at the gym at the same time. You know, Gary would be training different places. Sometimes he'd swing into where we were training, and we'd uh, get to work out a little bit. And uh, it, was, it was always just a cool event. Like I said, I'll be honest with you, most of the time it was, you know, Gary be like, let's do some takedowns. So I'd be like, damn, I was <laughs> never going to take him down. <laughs>
1: it was impossible. Who so, uh, was uh, your <laughs> buddy that fought the UFC? Was it, Dan, was it Dan O'Brien or Dan O'Neal?
0: Josh. Josh O'Brien.
1: Okay. So he always like, you know, he wrestled in college and things. Like, God dang it, dude. I can't take you
0: down. <laughs> yeah, he wrestled for Purdue. He's a good guy, yeah, but there yeah. was no taking Gary down. It was Jake like, O'Brien. O'Brien. Yeah, Jake yeah, O'Brien. O'Brien.
1: Yeah. time was, High school state champ.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, this is a moot point while we're doing this, but that yeah, was always fun. But anyway, yeah, it was kind of cool. Him and Jason were like the two big guys from Indiana. So it was always cool when they come in there and get to work out with them a little bit. That's good.
1: Yeah. But I said, like I said, I saw, uh, I met you first at Southport High School. Yeah. I rolled with you, but I knew then and there, I said, this guy's going to be good. That's and cool. <laughs> uh, I just knew you didn't even know. I don't really, You hadn't been training very long. Or it might have been your first practice. Who knows? But I yeah. knew, I know when people are going to be great fighters. I said, this guy's going to be good. Oh,
0: that's I cool. mean, you certainly
1: have been the best fighter in Indiana. I mean, you've certainly oh, thank you. represented Indiana yeah. with thank a you. lot of pride, endurance, I mean, grit. I mean, you've certainly played that role of representing us better than I ever could because I started in
0: a <laughs> different era. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: but you were the person. Well, I, I person was
0: fortunate. To- I, I got to, uh, you know, had the benefit of you and Jason kind of already blazing the path for us. We actually had a place to train and this is that. And like you and Jason, I was hearing stories about Jason. Like I had to go, you know, sleep in the garage. as a place just to get to a, learn a seminar so I could learn to move. Just didn't know what to, you know He's tra- trying to learn. You're trying to learn. But by the time I got there, you guys already learned that for us. So it really helped, you know, I was the second generation, not the first. So, Jason Gotzi and Jeremy Horn,
1: these two guys were nuts in the beginning. I mean, nuts. We were at an after fight party, and uh, uh, Jeremy Horn and Jason are talking about submissions and everything. And I'm kid you not, there's a room open next to the bar. It was dark. These two guys go in there and start doing jujitsu for like two or three <laughs> hours. And they didn't drink either one of them, and they're training. And I'm just standing out there in the hall, looking at and going, "Oh my God, look at these guys!" And uh, mm. but they trained the whole time we were at bar, uh, learning, you know, <laughs> passing back and forth ideas. But Godsey did that all the time, and he's probably was one of the better heavyweights for jiu-jitsu I ever saw. Mm. He just, I mean, he was good. He was good just for a heavy guy. Very mm. good. But he they guys would do that all the time. Everywhere we went, they find a spot, even if it's carpet, man. We were to be in Newcastle and we were like <laughs> carpeting. Jason starts training with this other guy I don't know. And I'm just like, they're on the carpet in the restaurant.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But that's about how he was. He always wanted to stay in shape and then wait for the opportunities. I was like, I want the opportunity first, then I'll train. Because you guys gotta understand <laughs> the best 10 years of my life are gone. From 20 to 30. I didn't get on pay-per-view until I was 31. So the yeah. best in shape I have ever been was gone. I mean, I wrestled in Russia in 1990 and won my dual meet there. And I was wrestling uh, about 198 pounds. Um, but I was in great shape. And But those years were gone. And that <laughs> five years later. So I think after I wrestled in Russia, I just kind of – I did – been 94 hours in all America. I cut down to 177. But I didn't – I didn't train much after. after I became all American it kind of healed a lot of wounds with me. And, uh, I don't think I ever trained the same ever since.
2: Hmm.
0: And I, so.
1: I I just wanted to get out there and fight, like not this stuff <laughs> you're seeing today.
0: Yeah. Just
1: I just, I just want to fight. Well, the that's, rules.
0: No rules. You know, Gary, that's part of it right now. I think one thing that has been lost in with the skill set being better, it's a technical, it's an athletic contest. It's not a fight anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. People, it, it's it's like I can out-jab you. I can hold you down. I can – it's an athletic contest, and, and it's lost something. That's what I like. The bare-knuckle fights that I go to and commentate, that's still a fist fight. If you ever watch those, you've got to start watching those because BKFC, yeah, oh, man, those things are awesome because it's still a fight. And, and in 10 years, it probably won't be. It'll be all technical, and nobody will care anymore. But, I mean, I love it when you find a sport where people just come to fight. That's what was there when you were there. And when that air went away, you kind of like, I don't like it anymore. You know what I mean? There's no way I would do bare-knuckle fighting. You know what? Those guys wrap their hands still. It's like a cast, right? No, you wrap your hands, but you can't wrap the knuckle. So it's like, yeah, you got to, like an yeah, inch below gauze? the knuckle. Uh, just gauze? yeah, and, and tape, but it's got to be an inch below the knuckle. But I mean, oh, okay. can't eat. the knuckle has to be bare, but the, the hand, protect the bones in the hand, but not the knuckle. <laughs> so I, I do want to mention something along that fighting. Pat Militich
1: because I was there early, he was the first guy I think that ever was convinced that you had to learn everything, and he went about getting that done. And I think that's what made that camp oh. so much better right off the bat. They were the best in the world for a while, yeah, for a long he time. He believed – he went out to California one time because he called me, and he said, man, these guys all they really want to do is jiu-jitsu. He was out there with some Brazilians. and uh, But he didn't, he didn't buy that nonsense. He wanted to be a boxer, you know, a Muay Thai guy, wanted to be great at jiu-jitsu. <laughs> He's the first guy in my mind was sold on the idea of cross training, and that's yep. what made that team so good. I think they realized realized that early and worked it into perfection.
0: Absolutely.
1: When you come to my camp, we don't we never you know that wasn't. I'm running up downstairs doing takedowns, and maybe <laughs> starting to get caught in a submission kind of later, but we we never converted to all that. I, you know, I always wore shoes, so I couldn't kick, but I didn't learn to become a great boxer, man. I just, I, <laughs> you know, you got to learn some of that stuff young. A good boxer well, learns that stuff young, like wrestling.
0: I felt like that was one area that uh really helped me out when I started. You know, I was, I was working out with you guys doing mainly you know, a lot of ground stuff, but eventually I started going in and doing boxing, and then I became a professional boxer, and that's really when my career took off. When I developed more than one, Style. It was kind of accidental that it happened. I started becoming a professional boxer and I was like, hey, this works in MMA too. You know, so once you start, once I tied both things together, that's when my career kind of took off. I think now you probably better start fighting one of these YouTubers so you can make some money. Yeah. Hey, hey. I'm in. Bring it, bring it, nerds. <laughs> what's that guy's name? John Paul or something? Jake Paul? What's his name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, I've already I've already put some out there. Do better enough yeah. while I'll do it. They at no response. So no response No response. No. well hey man Gary I want to thank you for not only uh sharing your time with us but man just uh you know like I said you helped lay the foundation for what led to me becoming the second generation of fighters from Indiana so if you hadn't been there maybe I'd have never been here so thank you for that and uh just a hell of a fun guy to be around and, and, and what you're doing now just giving back to everybody, and I feel like this, man. I've I've developed uh, a skill set over the last 30-something years of wrestling and fighting. Like, What do I do with it now unless I give it to somebody else? so Passing that along is so important um, and and so valuable, and thank you for doing that shit, man.
1: Yeah, I I think my last fight was at 46 years old, so I started fighting at 30 and finished at 46. 16-year career. I didn't know I was going to do after that because... All I known was competing. Yeah. And thank God, I saw these little kids wrestling at one of my buddy's house. He had a mat in there, and we're wrestling. I go, man, you guys would be great if you had a coach because their coach had quit. And they go, and so I'm rolling with them, you know, doing my thing. I'm like, you guys are pretty good. So I get a call a month later from Hamilton Heights saying, hey, uh, we want you to come in and interview to be a coach. So I went in there, they turned me down. With all the accolades I had in wrestling, they turned me down. <laughs> So a month later, when the assistant coaches called me and says, dude, did you get that job? I go, no, they didn't want me. I get a call a little later. He must have went off on him. But I, the reason I go back is wrestling has saved my life a 100 times over. I thought I'd be dead the time I was 25. But every time I've not felt good in life, I've walked into a wrestling room, and I feel like it has healed my soul. And to be coaching again and be coaching kids uh, in my 10th year, and we've been very successful. Like I said, we're undefeated this year. We're going to the team state championships next year. Uh, it's been very healing for me, and it's kept me balanced. So I tell people, who if you were ever an athlete in any sport, go back to it. If you ever feel out of center, it will bring you back, in it and it will help you.
0: Well, did this one more note on that. Uh, man, just, uh, to Gary's point, I'm from Indiana, and, you know, I've been coached. I coached for wrestling for all. Hamilton Heights was a joke. It was never even thought of it. Nobody even knew who they were for wrestling or anything. And now they're doing so good. It's really amazing to see. It always takes something like that. They didn't have a wrestling background, but they have it now. So that's good job for Gary. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thanks, man. We appreciate your time, Gary. Hey,
1: yeah, listen, if we were on different grounds, I'd tell you a lot of different stories. Yeah. <laughs> I just know that, you know, maybe some of that stuff left, For when I'm
2: out of coaching and out of being president (laughs) of company and hey
0: to be continued.
2: Yeah, (laughs) but Chris, all it means is we gotta get them fired and then we gotta (laughs) get back on here. Hey,
1: I'm not proud of all this stuff, but I can tell you this: I will not go to my grave and not say I've not lived life to the fullest. I will have no regrets. There we go. I have have challenged myself in every Avenue of my life. I mean, you would believe I mean I've wrestled a seven foot four, eight hundred eighty-six-pound bear. I tried out the American gladiators, eight thousand participants. I got down to the final eight. I mean, I've done everything that I can be challenged on. I've done. I've jumped off 60-foot cliffs and I had to balance myself so I wouldn't hit either rock on each side. I had to go right down the middle. I mean I've, done, I've challenged myself adrenaline-wise my whole life.
0: That's good. Well, thanks for joining us, All man. Right. I appreciate All it. All right, guys.